Star City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Buzz City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Hello and welcome to the Hornets and Heartbreak Podcast. My name is Mark Bernanke and I'm here with my co-host, Tim Rogers. What's up, Tim? What it do, Liquor Mark? I'm doing pretty well, man. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome we are two lifelong fans of the team and have been covering the Hornets for the past two seasons uh, through the Hornets and Heartbreak podcast. Obviously, the Hornets and Bobcats have not uh, seen very much success since the team's inception. Thus, the name of the show, Hornets and Heartbreak. Uh, we like to break down the team from an honest perspective. We try not to be homers with too much bias. Yeah, I'll say uh, some of our qualifications are I watched every single game of the 7-59 and 59 season. Diehard <laughs> fan. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I would, just for an introduction, I skew a little negative on our uh, players. You know, I'm not just throwing out super positive stuff. But yeah, we, uh, we come through with statistics. We come through on some hot takes from time to time. But yeah, I mean, you're getting just 100% basketball talk here all the time. Yeah, we'll be talking about the Hornets in general. We'll do a little bit of general NBA stuff, but we obviously focus more on the Hornets. And this is the start of a new chapter for us. We're very excited to be a part of the All Hornets Podcast Network. We're going to be kicking off today with discussion of Mitch Kupchak, who re-signed uh, to a multi-year extension. He said, for better or for worse, he's going to be here for the next couple of years. And he wouldn't clarify, you know, how long his <laughs> extension was for, which I thought was pretty funny. He just was like, I believe the the proper terminology or the terminology we use in this business is multi-year extension. He wouldn't say how long. Um, but he's going to be around. And we, we saw that coming. Uh, you know, he wouldn't be allowed to make the decision to fire James Borrego. If it weren't for, you know, his job security for the, at least this next season, he wouldn't be allowed to make such a big decision. Um, so he's going to be around. And I think that's for the best. He's been a good GM for the Hornets over the past few years. Uh, he's, he's done a good job for the most part. I would, uh, I would say, I would go as far as say he's unquestionably the best general manager we've had in the 2004 and on iteration yeah. of the Horncats. I, I would agree with that as well. And in terms of him saying reasons why James Brago uh, was fired, he said they were looking for a new voice. He said that they're pretty close to narrowing the group for the next head coach. It sounded like, you know, he was, uh, you know, impressed with James Brago specifically over the first three seasons, but that over the past year, he got a sense sort of that uh, James was not having the same connection to the locker room that he had in his first three seasons. That's sort of what it sounded like to me, although he didn't go super specific on reasons why uh, they let go of James Borrego, just that they were looking for a new voice and somebody to take them to the next level. Yeah, it was great. He started off the presser with like, I'm not going to give you every reason why. And then he was like, well, we did lose in the play in back-to-back times. And he's like, well, he didn't really play the young guys. Yeah. And he was kind of losing the voice. And it's like, okay, well, thanks for not telling us every exact reason. Uh, <laughs> one thing I did like is he said, didn't want to stick with a guy too long. Our scouts have done a great job drafting, which leads to players getting paid. Didn't want to be in a position where we had to make a decision a year too late. 
So it was a proactive move, which I always think is a good, a good way to approach things. Yeah. So that sort of gets us into like what he's going to be looking for, for the next head coach. And he said he's leaning 60, 40, maybe 65, 35 to a coach with previous head coaching experience. Um, he said he was entertaining the idea of getting an assistant coach because they've seen that work out in, in Boston and in uh, New Orleans this past season, but that he's leaning towards a coach with head coaching experience um, to get the team to the next step, which would be uh, making the playoffs and potentially winning a playoff series. I think he also said that he's pretty much interviewed everybody he's going to interview um, and that they're looking for a new coach sometime in the next couple of weeks and definitely before the draft. He was very clear that they're looking to get a new coach before the draft. So, you know, we're going to see some of the coaching candidates he's interviewed. You know, Mike D'Antoni is a coach with previous coaching experience. Um, an example of somebody who's not would be Darvin Ham, Sean Sweeney. So we'll see who, who, who the Hornets go with here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully getting a decision soon. Yeah, and I really do appreciate Mitch's transparency. He also made it very clear that they're not going to make an acceleration move. Uh, you know, so they're not they're not looking to add a veteran. I think he's I'll, I'll take that as he's kind of learned from the Gordon Hayward decision that maybe that wasn't the best idea. He's like, you know, Atlanta made the conference finals, but he was like, that eh, didn't really count. He's like, you know, so realistically, he's like, you know, we're not expecting to make the finals, conference finals anytime soon. We just want to have sustained growth, which I think is the right approach for a team this young in a smaller market. Yeah, a, a big takeaway from the interview for me was just like, I was pretty impressed with Mitch Kupchak. And like you said, he was transparent. He also just aligned with like a lot of the things we say on the podcast, which <laughs> is like, we don't, we don't have to win right now. Like this past season, obviously not making the play, playoffs is disappointing. Losing the play is disappointing. But like overall, we're sort of on track. And he was like, you know, five more wins next year would be good. He seems very realistic with the expectations, which I like to see. Yeah, he said uh, everything or uh, everyone is going to get better. Even if you can't do anything, you'll be better than you were last year. Perhaps players you could add might have been players that were already on the bench. So he obviously believes uh, in the guys that they have drafted. He was very effusive with his praise towards our scouts. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's an exciting turnaround because the fear is like, we don't want to package 13 and 15 and end up with two years of Clint Capella. Mm. And like, we've seen floated around, you know, trades for like a Rudy Gobert or trades for like another center or another like star player. I think listening to the Mitch interview sort of shows you that's not going to happen. Like his general approach is just let this young core build and, you know, like you said, not to make things too fast, not to accelerate things too quickly, be realistic and don't push the team forward too quickly because we've seen that not work out in, in other situations over the years where teams move a little bit too fast. Um, and I think that's good to hear. I think that's the right approach. That's the smart approach to have uh, with a young team. And it's good to hear Mitch, Mitch is on the same page. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Mitch, I have to say he was uh, I loved his transparency in this interview, because normally like, you know, th this time of the off season, they're just giving like total, you know, BS non-committal answers. And I, I believe Rod Boone from the observer asked like, do any of the players have input on who the next coach will be? And he said, eh, no, no one but me <laughs> said, if we get to the point where we have a top 10 player, who's been in the league for five, 10, 12 years, we'll consult him. But right now, no. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I thought I thought that was funny too. Uh, you know, he's just like def- definitely not yet. Lamelo's only going into his third year. You know, he's not he's not asking Lamelo who who he thinks the head coach should be. Give it like five more years, and maybe maybe that that factors in. But but not at this point. Um, and I I think that's the right approach. It's it's a young team. We don't need to be you know polling the players on who who they want to get as the head coach. I honestly, I, I just love the idea of any conversation between LaMelo Ball and a 70-year-old Mitch Kupchak, where he's just like, do you think LaMelo's ever been like, what was it like to play with Wes Unseld? <laughs> it's like, it's like, I wonder if he even knows that Mitch Kupchak won a champ- multiple championships with different <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he calls LaMelo into the office. So, LaMelo, what do you, what do you think about uh, Dan Tony? Like, that conversation's not happening. Yeah, it's like he does the Pat Riley deal where he puts the rings on the table, and Lamelo's like, "Dude, where'd you get those?" <laughs> um, when asked about Lamelo uh, and what Lamelo needs to work on, he was also very candid. There, he said Lamelo needs to get stronger. That he's gotten a little bit stronger from his rookie to his sophomore season, and that's another thing that we've said that he needs to get a little bit stronger. Like some people said, he put on muscle from year one to year two. I didn't really see it um, in his finishing around the rim. Uh, leaves a lot to be desired. Obviously, his three-point shooting and passing uh, makes him a great offensive player, but he still needs to work on strength. And he also said his next step was becoming a better two-way player, which is definitely true. He needs to work on his defense. He has the size. He has the abilities to be a very good defender, but he hasn't gotten there yet. Um, And, yeah, I I appreciate the candidates' candidates there as well. Yeah, one thing I – one disclaimer, the two-way player thing, I do think that's important, especially if you're a wing – I think that's when it's most important. Like if you're a point guard, like I think a two-way player, that discussion really started to come up when Steph Curry became the best player in the NBA. And then people were like, nah, but Kawhi's a two-way player. Mm-hmm. Oh, Paul George, LeBron, they're two-way players. Like if you're a point guard, your number one responsibility is running the offense. Yes. And obviously we don't want LaMelo to be like a turnstile, a cone, a Luka Doncic on defense. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I think that was good. Uh, that was good GM speak. By uh by Cupjack seemed very confident. Talked about how much better he got at the end of the season. And uh, another thing he was fully transparent about is like Miles is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He said his intentions to keep Miles long term. He's a restricted free agent, so what that means is we can match any offer made by other teams. And all indications are that we're going to be doing that. Um, if if we don't do that, it's completely shocking. Uh, obviously, we would be disappointed in that. It would be a, an immediate heartbreak emergency podcast. But I think there's like a less than 1% chance of that happening from everything that Mitch has said. All indications point towards Miles being re-signed. So Hornets fans, we can stop worrying about that. That's that's really not something uh, that's even on the table this offseason. I was like slightly concerned about it until listening to this interview where he was just like, nope, our intention is to keep him long term. He's not going to say we'll pay him this much money because that would not help him in contract talks. But he said we're going to keep him. All I know is that uh, Miles Bridges saw that they paid a 35-year-old Kobe Bryant $50 million for two years, and Miles was like, all right, I'm good. I'm <laughs> definitely, I'm staying. Mitch Mitch retains his guys and uh, really seems to to be invested in this, uh, in this young group. That's another thing he said about, uh, you know, kind of alluding to Borrego, but was like, you know, it seems like he's very invested in the Kai Jones, Book Knight, even JT Thor, uh, gave love to all the draft picks, and said uh they didn't play nearly as much as we hoped they would uh jury is still somewhat out 
Uh, but they, he was just like, yeah, these guys asked to go to Greensboro. They wanted to play. They didn't want to sit on the bench in Charlotte. And that was, I thought that was a little bit of a stab at Borrego. Like, ah, they knew that he wasn't going to change up his thing. He's like a stubborn guy. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that the, uh, the future is very bright. Yeah. When you have the 11th pick and 19th pick who combined for less than a thousand minutes their first season, I mean, I just kind of view them as like incoming draft picks. So it's almost like we have four guys coming in this next year. Yeah, and for new listeners, me and Tim had sort of like made a hypothesis that, uh, you know, Kupchak was disappointed in the rookie's lack of playing time and that that factored into the decision to fire James Perego. And that was confirmed. Like he, he mentioned that as, as a GM, he always lets the coach decide who he's going to play and who he's not going to play. He doesn't involve himself in that discussion. Um, and so clearly he was just disappointed in the lack of minutes for those two players. He said, I, I was hopeful that they would play a little bit more than they did. I remained very high on them. And then he said it again. He said they didn't play nearly as much as I hoped that they would. He said it twice. So like he yeah. was very, very, very clear that he wanted them to play more. And I think that's, that's actually a very good thing for this team. It wasn't like a whole organization being out on those players. It was just James Borrego being out on those players. So uh, the fact that the organization still has faith in them is good for us because it shows that at least one of them is probably going to pan out and be a good player on our team. Yeah, absolutely. They weren't uh, throwing them under the bus. It was more Borrego taking a note out of Steve Clifford's book. And uh, another, another cup check quote, he said, wish we could have seen more of them, but that's a coaching decision. It wasn't a development year. Uh, you know, the playoffs were implied but maybe shouldn't have put such an impetus on the playoffs. It puts pressure on the staff to play vets. Um, and yeah, that was, it was a strange example of a front office executive actually taking responsibility, mm. which uh, is a very rare thing in the NBA. So another, another plus, a plus for Mitch. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did sort of take responsibility for putting pressure on James Borrego to make the playoffs, which led to more Cody Martin minutes and less minutes for the uh, the rookies there. One one more thing on on uh, this interview here with Mitch Kupchak is that when asked about PJ Washington, he wasn't willing to like clearly say that there would be an extension. Whereas with Miles, he did clearly say that. I just wanted to note that. I think that um, you know he he sort of gave some praise to PJ after he answered the question was like, well, I can't say anything about that yet. Um, then he gave praise to PJ. He just seemed like less committed to PJ than Miles. I'm not sure if that means anything, but I'm sort of reading between the tea leaves here. This is not like he didn't say like, oh, I'm down on PJ. He actually said nice things about PJ. But to me, the way he answered the question, sort of like only saying good things when he kind of realized he needed to say good things about PJ uh, was like, hmm, okay, maybe maybe PJ is not going to be around for an extension. We'll have to see, though. It definitely seemed like one of those moments where, you know, your girlfriend and her friend, they both get ready and they come out and you're like, wow, like you look great talking about your girlfriend's friend that you're like oh well i mean you look fantastic i mean I, what, what you what you did with that dress wow yeah because he said uh yeah, pj took a big step forward this year became more dependable we asked him to do a lot of different things and he was okay with any role that's where you're like oh my god i hope his agent did not hear the first part <laughs> yeah he didn't say again he didn't say anything bad he just was like well, I can't talk about that. We have a lot of other things to worry about, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but PJ was great this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a great personality that guy is. Uh, and he also, to close out, he was just, uh, he put a big amount of trust and uh, really shouted out his scouts multiple times during this press conference and kind of laid it out like 
I would not expect a trade going forward. He believes in his scouts. I mean, if you look at our history in the late lottery, we have uh, PJ and Miles knocked it out of the park. We have two picks this year in the, uh, in the lottery, or round lottery range, 13 to 15. Uh, so, yeah, I would not expect any trades to be made with that so uh do you want to get into the draft mark yeah i I do want to push back a little bit because you referred to the two picks as currency you know could move up could move back etc sounds like i do think that is like kind of in the cards it could just be him like kind of putting that image out there to other teams that potentially we'd be moving up or moving back but you did mention that uh specifically in the in the interview so like i kind of expect us to to use those picks as they are but i also think that he could be using, you know, you refer to them again as currency, which sort of indicates a willingness to use them for something else. All right. So going forward, we have the 13th pick, the 15th pick and the 45th pick. So Tim, what can we expect from those two picks here moving forward? Okay. So I broke down the last five drafts and all the players selected between 13 and 16, just to give us like, you know, a tight range um, so the 2017 draft, a bit of an outlier, but we have Donovan Mitchell at 13, Bam Adebayo at 14, Justin Jackson at 15, a little disappointing, and uh, Jared Patton at 16. In 2018, we have Jerome Robinson, which was not a good pick, Michael Porter Jr. at 14, Troy Brown and Zaire Smith. 2019, we have Tyler Harrow, we have Romeo Langford, we have... Seku Dimbouye, drafted by the Detroit Pistons, and uh, Chuma Okiki. In 2020, we have uh, Kara Lewis, Aaron Naismith, Cole Anthony, Isaiah Stewart. And then 2021, we have Chris Duarte, Moses Moody, Cody Kispert, and Alfred Sangoon. So I broke these guys down, uh, you know, on like all-star level talent, solid starter, low-end starter, solid bench guys and eighth man of beyond slash out of the league. So we have three all-star level talents in Mitchell, Bam and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, it's around 10% to be able to hit on those guys. As far as solid starters go, we have a uh, Chris Duarte, Moses Moody, Sangoon and Tyler Harrow. That's, you know, around 20% chance. And then a uh, three solid bench guys, Chumo Kiki, Isaiah Stewart, Cole Anthony, and then 10 players that are seventh men and or out of the league in Jackson, Patton, Langford, Sekou, Naismith, Kispert, and Lewis. So I look at this as though there's a 50% chance that they're out of the league. (laughs) Also a 50% chance that they're in the league. So we have two picks. So statistically speaking, there's a hundred percent chance we nail one of these. Obviously, that's not how it works. But just yeah, to so- give you guys an idea of like what to expect, we shouldn't be ex- like getting an all-star would be great, but not realistic. We're more in the camp of let's get a rotation player. Yeah, some sketchy math there, but I but I did enjoy that uh, that exercise. Um, so let's start. We're going to talk about some some prospects here. Um, Mark Williams is who we're going to start with here, Tim. And the Hornets have needed a center for years now. And Mark Williams out of Duke might be that guy. He's a sophomore. He really impressed me in his second year. He seems like the most or one of the most NBA-ready prospects in this draft. 
Averaged 11 points per game, seven and a half rebounds, and 2.8 blocks in his second year. And, dude, he just looks like he's ready to go in the league right now. Like, uh, you know, player comps, I'd give it, like, Clint Capella, Robert Williams at the upside, like Hassan Whiteside now at the, on the low end. Um, he, he looks like all those dudes, except, you know, obviously not, not quite as good and not quite as ready, but that's the kind of player that you're getting in Mark Williams. And he fits perfectly in with the Hornets. Defensive center, runs in transition, gets out and is a threat on lobs and dunks. That's what we need. That's what we need, Tim. Yeah, I agree. I like the, uh, the Williams comp has come up a lot. And it reminds me of after the bubble. Uh, this was the Wiseman, uh, Onyeko Okongwu draft, where any big man that did not have cement feet was projected as like, man, they could be like Bam Adebayo. <laughs> and now I feel like Robert Williams has kind of taken that mantle. Yeah, so Mark Williams out of Duke, he is seven foot uh, flat, not in shoes, so seven two in shoes. He has a seven seven wingspan, which is the fifth largest in the NBA, and a nine eight standing reach, which uh, is one inch longer than Rudy Gobert and would be fourth all time in the NBA behind Taco Fall, Mo Bamba, and. Uh, can't remember the um, other person. That's yeah, all okay. it's because they're they were out of the league. So it's a little little dicey. He's 240 pounds, 20 years old, uh, and he led the NCAA in true shooting percentage back to back years at 73. percent He has the eighth highest field goal percentage in NCAA history, mm. and on top of that, he also shot 73 percent from the line his sophomore season. Um, so what I look at with Mark Williams, as you said, NBA ready. And, you know, LaMelo Ball, one thing we've lamented throughout his career is, like, he's never actually had a proper pick-and-roll partner. Cody Zeller was never that guy. Montrose Harrell wasn't really playable. Uh, so I look at this guy who, with that, with that wingspan, with that athleticism, I think he's a great leaper off of two feet, uh, which, you know, Miles was coming into the league as well. Some of these guys can throw off one. But, yeah, like, with a 9-9 standing reach, that wingspan, like, if LaMelo can get the ball anywhere near the rim, that's an insane radius mm. to just be able to take off and finish these shots. He finished, I think, 78% at the rim, and uh, that's the number one thing we need. Yep. Dude, my mouth is watering uh, just like with you talking about Mark Williams right now. Honestly, I, I don't really understand how, how he isn't higher on draft boards. It's like, I guess because like the, the upside isn't that high, I guess, but like, uh, Clint Capella, like I'd take that. Um, you know, like I, I'd take Robert Williams on the Hornets right now, right? Like these, I, I mean, and that is his upside. I mean, Rudy Gobert, what, whatever you want to say, like he, he has the potential to just be a very solid defensive center and a guy who dunks and catches lobs. Uh, I don't believe in the shot, but like there is the potential for untapped potential on the shot. He shot 75% on free throws and was five of nine on jump shots this past year. So he did he did make five out of nine jump shots. Um, I mean, okay, the, the downside is that he's not switchable. Um, you know, if a team's running, like, offenses with five uh, shooters on the court, that's going to be an issue for, for Mark Williams. Um, and then, you know, the other downside is that he doesn't really shoot and that he doesn't really pass, uh, only averaging one assist per game. See, and I would, I would counter on that um, as far as the switchability goes. Because I don't think that he is like a cement foot, just like incapable 
of switching out of the perimeter. Like people talk about Jalen Duran in this draft class as though he is like Draymond Green on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And in a way, uh, Williams reminds me a little bit of DeAndre Ayton coming out where like everyone was like, oh man, he'll be so bad on the perimeter. But it's like what I saw was like an athletic guy with sure-footed feet with a great wingspan where like, yeah, like, you know, we're not ideally, we're not going to just like form a switching system around Mark Williams, but I think he can hold his own yeah. on, uh, on the perimeter. I mean, granted, this is against like lower level competition in college, uh, but he swallows up smaller guards he's able to like stay you know an extra foot back because his wingspan is so long and his uh his jump is so uh so athletic so yeah i mean i think that he would be fine defensively uh i am worried a little bit about the passing and i do see why guys might not think he has a crazy high upside but this is the 13th pick yeah and you know donovan mitchell Eh, like, you know, it comes around every now and then. But realistically, if you get a starting center that's ready to start 20 games into the season, that's a home run at 13. I mean, you yes. just have to realistically evaluate these picks and the outcomes. And and maybe it's like, you know, uh, the fit with the team that's making me think this. But I really don't understand why he isn't higher on the on the draft boards. Like, there are a bunch of dudes like, uh, you know, they had this one crossover once and now they're number 11 on the draft board. Like, it just like doesn't make sense to me. This is a dude who did it in college. Like, he was very good. He was very good in college, and he's shown that he's good at specific things. Like, he has his flaws, but, like I said, I mean, so does Clint Capella, so does Rudy Gobert, and, like, they're still good players um, in the NBA. And that, those are, you know, small issues for a team like the Hornets, who's just trying to win a first-round series first. And then we can start talking about switchability on defense. Like, we, we, we don't need to talk about that for our center right now. We have Mason Plumlee, or they have Mason Plumlee out there. Uh, you know, shooting 35% from the free throw line. Uh, The Hornets need to plug that hole uh, as quickly as possible. We have Kai Jones, obviously, in waiting. So that would be an interesting dynamic, picking another center back-to-back years in the first round. But I'm fine with just getting two of them and letting them duke it out for who gets to be the starter. Yeah, it almost kind of reminds me of, like, you know, Mark Williams is, like, definitely a center, and Kai Jones is almost like a 4-5. Yeah. You know, if we're being optimistic, it almost reminds me of like the Miles Bridges, PJ Washington back to back picks where it's like, all right, you know, one of them has like slightly higher upside. One's like, you know, a little more like a straight four in PJ. Yeah. Um, yeah so I'm I'm excited by that. Uh, can I ask you what is like your best case scenario, like 95th percentile outcome for Mark Williams? Robert Williams. Really? Because I think he could I think he could be better than that. Robert Williams is pretty good. He he is pretty good, but he's also 6'10". Okay, Clint, Clint Capella uh, on, on the Rockets. Yeah, I don't have a, like, you know, one-to-one as far as, like, player comp. Best case scenario for me, I view him as someone who could be one of the five best rim protectors in the league, isn't worried about getting posted up, and is also capable of switching on to smaller guards mm. without, you know, just totally getting clamped. Uh, with the free throw shooting, I don't think he's going to be taking off the dribble threes. But if you told me four years from now, he can like consistently make 36% on open corner threes in certain lineups. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset with that. Yeah. I just think he has the potential to kind of change the, like define the way that we play defense going forward. Yes. Borrego, Borrego loved to play zone. Uh, you know, and that was really a product of the fact that we didn't have a center that was good enough to play drop coverage. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we didn't have someone we could just put him back there. But also, like, so Williams, I think right away can play drop yeah. coming out. No problem. I think two years from now, he might, like, it could open things up to, depending also who we pick with a 13 pick, we could have a switching defense. Like, you know, we could we can start to mix these things up a little bit, complicate our defense a little bit, show a little more range. And I think a lot of that relies on, like, if we get Williams, like, I think it just opens up, like, in the same way LaMelo opens up our offense, I think he could do that for our defense. Yeah, I agree. I think he could, potentially, come in to be the best defensive player on our team immediately. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just so the listeners know, best-case scenario is not expected outcome. Right. That is just like, you know, if everything if everything goes right. Yeah. So from there, what is your, like, most li- – like, your median outcome, most likely occurrence? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Some, somewhere – I said I said on the low end would be, like, Hassan Whiteside now, right? Uh, the, the current iteration of Hassan Whiteside. And I, I'm trying to think somewhere in between there and what I said with Clint Capella. Um, so I'm not what, sure. What I have for like most likely outcome is like he's a very good rim protector, and you start to get those articles in the slow time of the season around February, where the athletic writes the best rim protector people don't talk about, <laughs> and then in the first round of the playoffs, he kind of you know he has he has some trouble staying on guys on the perimeter. Like still an impactful defensive player, but he has some holes that hold him back from being a no brainer starter, and like maybe the second contract gets a little dicey. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think offensively, like I, I'm just not, I think this would be the perfect team for him to go to offensively. Cause like, we're never going to call a post up for him. And right. he wasn't even a big fan of that either. He has a pretty good motor on offense where like in transition, he's fantastic. He's not as good as Kai Jones, but he's another guy who even off a block, you know, like in, in the opposite paint can like run the floor and, you know, create some openings. I just think offensively, like, a yeah, pretty easy situation for him to succeed. Like, as long as he's even a top 15 player, 15 center on defense, that's a big improvement. Yes, absolutely. All right, next up on our list is Usman Dieng. Uh, listed at 6'10". I don't really buy that height, Tim, looking at him on tape. Uh, but he's quick, extremely raw right now. Here are his stats from the NBL, uh, the Australian League, same league that Lamelo played in and Josh Giddy. Nine points per game in 20 minutes, 40% from the field, 27% from three, three re- rebounds per game. Uh, in total, he had 33 turnovers and only 24 assists. Uh, that's less than one assist per game. Uh, I'm not particularly high on Yang uh, because I think like a lot of people are saying he has a lot of upside, but he hasn't particularly shown it at this point. And in contrast to previous NBL players that were drafted like Lamelo and Josh Giddy. He cannot really pass. Uh, like I said, less than one assist per game. He has a nice handle, uh, but you heard his shooting stats, not very efficient scoring. Um, he's not been able to shoot the ball successfully in the NBL at all, which is similar to LaMelo and Giddy. But like I said, those players had extreme passing ability and flashes of passing ability that Yang does not have. I would agree with that as far as like if you are expecting him to be the primary playmaker. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be that even like, you know, things, things really work out. Like people might see the body and the age and be like, well, maybe you could turn to be honest. That's not going to happen. We should place that. I would view him as like a secondary or like tertiary playmaker. Uh, I think that he does have some good passing vision, 
but he's kind of been pitched as like a 6'10 guy that can like run, pick and roll. That, that will not be the case in the NBA, mm. at least for like the first three years. Um, I view him more as a spot up shooter and like defensive specialist yeah. going forward. Another guy that I like him because obviously we need defense. We need some length. It is the high upside pick. I don't totally agree with because so many things have to go right for him to actually hit that. But I do view him as like another guy who would be a monster in transition with LaMelo ball. And if he does hit could be like a very serviceable power forward slash center for like bench lineups. Yeah. I I have to say I'm, I'm pretty out on him. Um, Like just these players who like have all this potential, but haven't really shown it. I mean, we kind of gone into it in the last discussion with Mark Williams, like Mark Williams is already a proven player. This dude is not like, I mean, you can watch his clips and they're all of him hitting open jump shots. And then there's just like, Oh, he shot 40% from the field and 27% from three. Like he doesn't score effectively. He make puts up a lot of bricks. Um, and so somebody who like needs the shot to go down for him to be an effective player, but hasn't done that yet. I just don't really believe in that. And also him getting to the rim. He's not very confident getting to the rim. He oh. often like throws up these wild shots Disgusting. at the rim. Yeah. It's, it's not good, dude. I, I don't, I don't see it. I have to say that he's like more in the twenties for me than in, in the teens uh, so in terms of draft rankings. This is my counter okay. on him where I think that if he's operating as like a fourth option on a team, I think that the spacing in the NBA will be better. Yeah. And so I view him, uh, you know, if we roll towards like best case scenario for this guy, um, I look at him as like a defensive specialist who mm-hmm. is capable of, you know, switching depending on the matchup might get burned by smaller guards because the size, but overall, I think like someone that could, you know, set a pick for LaMelo, LaMelo gets doubled. And then he's like the release valve, like the poor man's dream on. In that regard, he's 6'10", so no one's going to, like, block up his space. And if we have scores and shooters all around him, which is a big if, of course, everything is so contingent with this guy, which I understand you're uh, you're scared about. Yeah. But I think that his defense could be, like, very, very good. Almost like Matisse Thibel, very long. And Matisse Thibel is not a great one-on-one defender, but a great help defender. And I think that he could be someone that could kind of fill in in like, you know, a lot of the cracks on our defense. He could be the guy, great help side defender, could switch a little bit, like not an all-star. Will never be an all-star because I don't believe in the shot. But really all he has to do to get on the floor is hit open catch and shoot shots. Yeah, which is a big if, though, which is what concerns me with drafting him. Like if he can't hit shots, then he, he's not going to be good. And I don't, this is a player who I think will be pretty terrible in his first year in the NBA, like lots of G league time. Uh, if he got drafted by us, this is like definitely a project. Um, you know, he's, he's 19, he's young. He also, he also strikes me as the kind of guy, like it wouldn't hurt for him to just play another year in the NBL. Obviously he'd prefer to go to the NBA, but like if he comes to the NBA, he's going to the G league, I think pretty quickly. Like if he, if he gets drafted by us um, and yeah, I'm just I'm just not not as high as you are. I guess I see the switchability. He, he also has like a pretty good handle, but I just don't see like the feel for the game. Like you can say that that'll come, but I just I just don't see it. Uh, yeah, feel feel for the game coming along is like the least likely thing yeah. that's going to come along. But this is what I would counter. You were really high on Josh. You 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 were still really high on Josh Giddy. Yeah. 
So what's so, what? I mean, is that your counter? <laughs> NBL players are, are no, good. but it's okay. So you're looking, but like, what's what's the perks with Josh Giddy? He's a taller guy who is shown passing ability, very little scoring ability, but like, man, the height is tantalizing. So obviously, the feel for the game is not there as much offensively, but defensively, I do think it applies. That's fair. That's fair. I guess I was just like so turned off by his like his, offensive. His, his offense is offense terrible. Is terrible like i've never a guy that is this big like you see him extend like there's certain times where like oh that's a layup and then you're like wow he dunked that that's awesome and then as soon as he has anyone within like 10 feet of him he just loves the floater which is just kind of jarring for this guy barely ever euro steps which is one thing that i think he could improve on like if he like gets a little ahead of steam and starts euro stepping like again definitely not Giannis, but i think that could be a big part of his game and I just view him as someone who's always going to be like the fourth best offensive player on a team, but could be like, you know, the second, maybe even first best defensive player on a unit. That, that is fair. I, I did not evaluate his defense as highly as yours. You know, he is super switchable, um, which I noticed, but and he, and he is very fast. Like he's, he's got quick feet. Um, so defensively, he could be very good. I just, I just don't like drafting a player who's so bad on offense. Um, and so for player comps here, Tim, who you got? I have a, uh, Hornet fans will not, not necessarily like this. Assuming like, you know, it's like 80th percentile. I'm thinking like an evolutionary Nick Batum, who is not someone that you would want to like, he's not a stopper on defense. He's not a main cog on offense, but is your second best defender, third best offensive player. Very valuable. I think that the assist number doesn't really show the whole story. I don't think he's like a even like high above average uh, passer, but I did really like his hook passes, you know, a Steph Curry special, just launching it over the shoulder. And he really, he's so tall that no one can really like block his sight. He likes hitting guys in the corner. I just think that he, with an offensive team like we have right now, and even like two years from now, I think he'd be a good like release valve. Again, it's like, okay, LaMelo's getting doubled. They're trying to like throw stuff at him. He'll just find the open guy. All right. So for me, for 90th, 99th percentile, I'm going to go with Jalen McDaniels. Um, oh my God. <laughs> Are you serious? No, 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 no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But like, uh, yeah, I just don't see it. I think, I think he's like high bus potential. Um, and, you know, with Mitch talking about how he wants to add talent to the team, I could see us making an upside swing with one of these two picks. I just hope it's not him. Um, I'm, I'm not into it. Uh, so, yeah, I'll let you do, like, the, the you know, good player comps. And I'll say, like, Jalen McDaniels, you know, at the, at the 50, 50th percentile for this guy. Okay, so, like, most likely outcome, yes. like, is just, like, yeah. a Jalen McDaniels. I think he's already, like, a much better, like, ball handler than Jalen McDaniels. Yeah. And will probably come in pretty close to defensively where McDaniels is. So like, I think his like best, best case scenario would be like the fourth best player on like a loaded offensive team. Mm. I just think that he could turn into like an elite defensive player. that can make some open threes could make like, you know, the short roll passes. And again, but like, this is where it gets scary. There's so many ifs. If he fills out, you know, like if the body fills out, if he improves the shooting, if he gets a little post game, can he actually defend against switches? But with a team like ours, where we're looking for like, you know, LaMelo 
is projected to be like, you know, but maybe like the 10th best player in the league, but like not, not a no brainer top five. And miles is like the 20th, you know, like somewhere around like, you know, 20 to 30th best player in the league. I think that for a second pick in the draft, this is a worthwhile thing, like a worthwhile prospect for the team. We have Kai Jones leaving his spot in Greensboro and just maybe take like a, a year for this guy to fill out, which is tough with the rookie contract because there's so much value on there. But I also wonder like, so who are guys that have like a f- similar physical physique that have totally failed? And I would say like, yeah, Kevin Knox. Yeah. Uh, Dubuka again from, uh, from Detroit. But I mean, I just think there's a, a fair chance, even if he only hits like the 50th percentile, I think that he could be like a really good sixth man who is like solid on help defense and could just like do a little bit of everything on offense will never be like, you're never going to run pick and rolls through him. Like, as long as you know that coming out, I think that I think he's fine for a team that really needs defense. And also like, I don't think it's like a, just like you're trying to fill a need, not like overall value. I just think that he does offer some stuff. I wouldn't have him as low as McDaniels, but like I wouldn't take him 13. Yeah. I would say. I, he's below below Williams at the moment. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I have, I have him lower than you do for sure. Um, you know, we'll circle back on some players that I might have above him. But, yeah, I'd have him, like, more mid-20s than, like, around where we're drafting. Uh, I'm, I'm super low on him. I mean, we can we can just agree to disagree. That's completely yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's French. You know, so that's one upside. I speak French. So if I ever interview him, that would be cool. Also, Tim, I don't know if you noticed this. His birthday is May 21st. My birthday is May 19th. Your birthday is May 23rd. That's that's two days in a row. Two days in between each of those. So uh, you know, right, so he's going top ten. He's gonna be he's gonna be the third man of the podcast in five years. That's what that's what that means. All right. Um, at the end here, Tim, to close, everyone, please check out the SI Hornets website at si.com slash NBA slash Hornets. Again, that is si.com slash NBA slash Hornets. Tim and I will be contributing to this website throughout the year, as well as other members of the All Hornets Podcast Network. So check it out. You can also find the link in the show notes. Absolutely. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you could be so kind as to rate, review, and share. And you know what? Send us send us a message at Hornets Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and let Mark know why, why he is extremely wrong about Dang. <laughs> And uh, yeah, also just, you know, thanks everybody for listening. This is our first episode, obviously, on the All Hornets Podcast Network. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, as Tim said, and share it is the most important thing. Share it on social media. Uh, try to get the word out about this new podcast network because we're really excited to be doing this. Um, it's been real, Tim. It's been real, Liquor Mark. Be safe out there. Peace. Peace.